It's Saturday, April 3rd, and you're listening to Backchat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Gadigal land and pay our respects to elders, past and present. I'm Nikhil Yogoeva. And I'm Eamon Snow. For Autism Awareness Month, we're speaking to Pakistani-born lawyer Jari Syed about being diagnosed later as a teenager and how cultural diversity intersects with his autism. We're also hitting you with not one, not two, but three new song releases. But first, we take a look at the massive fine against a company for water pollution and how surprisingly that not might that might not be a win for the environment. Eamon himself brings us that story. And we want to hear from you. Text us in on 0409 945 945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. Last month... Hymix Concrete Australia was slapped with a $23,000 fine from the EPA for polluting a waterway on the New South Wales Central Coast. From the outside, this looked like a good outcome, right? But for locals, this was a lacklustre outcome after seven years of fighting to have their pollution concerns taken seriously. I've spent the last month looking into this and it's raised some serious questions around, around environmental protection in our state. So right now, I'm... Um walking a track that snakes through some pretty dense shrub um, in a suburb called Kingcumber on the New South Wales Central Coast. And like a lot of the Central Coast, Kingcumber is built around some pretty beautiful waterways that are central to the lifestyle here. The one I'm trudging towards now, Kingcumber Creek, it hasn't been looking too flash for some time though. A growing section of the community are furious about what's happened to Kingcumber Creek and it's raising serious questions about whether the New South Wales environmental regulator the EPA is up to the task of protecting places like this. I mean, to be able to capture it, I've got to get it um, on a certain tide. Um, because as soon as the tide comes, it comes through and, and washes a lot of the evidence away. Um, my name's Corey Hopper, and I'm a local resident of Kingcumber on the central coast of New South Wales. When it comes out, this whole little um, mangrove plain here is like fully grey. And I have a property that is adjacent to the Kingcumber Creek tributary, which um, is a, a waterway that filters into the Kingcumber Broadwater and essentially the, the Brisbane water as a whole. That's my place just through there. So, so you see that little jetty there? Yeah. Yeah, that's my, my little jetty there, and that goes up to... And I've been here for about seven years, and in that time I've been monitoring the activities of a concrete batching plant um, that's been run by Hymix Concrete Australia. OK, so you've met Corey, you know Kingcumber Creek, and you know that there's something going on there with a the concrete plant. But to tell this story properly, we're going to have to jump back to 2014, when Corey first moved into Kingcumber and started noticing something happening to the creek's water. It was generally a normal brackish colour, and then once or twice a week, all of a sudden, the whole thing would run grey. And you don't just have to take Corey's word for it. Over the last seven or so years, he's taken something in the vicinity of 2,500 photos and videos of Kingcumber Creek, either partially or totally grey. As you heard at the start, the concrete plant being referred to here is owned and operated by Hymix Concrete Australia. They're owned by Hanson Australia, which is one of, if not the biggest players in concrete manufacturing in the country. Once I noticed that the creek was running grey regularly, I spent a fair bit of time just exploring over in the mangroves and I stumbled across this little concrete fixture just jutting out of the bush and I could see concrete contamination coming out for years and years because the little plain of mangrove around there was all grey, it was all dead and quite literally, if you follow the line of it, 20 metres right down there is where the climax plant is. There's no trace of it on any of the council schematics. 
Pine Mix themselves were the first ones that I contacted and they were very slow to act. Um, they didn't really want to know too much about it and kind of dismissed it. So from that point on, I hit the local council and the EPA pretty heavily. While he didn't have much luck with local council, Corey was initially pleased to see the EPA take interest. Within about nine months, they'd investigated, issued Hymix with an order to sort out their water management and hit them with a $1,500 fine. This is where the story should have ended, but despite Hymix throwing a fair bit of money at upgrades on-site, nothing was done about this mysterious water outlet, and just as regularly, Kingcomer Creek would run grey. So Corey contacted the EPA and told them that the pollution was continuing. He sent them written reports, photos and videos and again highlighted that the majority of it was coming from a water outlet that wasn't mapped on any council schematics. He did this on a near weekly basis, trying all levels of government in the process as well. Meanwhile, he watched the creek get shallower and wildlife slowly disappear. Fast forward to October 2020 and around six years after their first visit, the EPA finally returned to Kingcumber. Sure enough, their investigation proved that highly toxic contaminated water was in fact coming from the Hymix facility. Backchat contacted Hymix for comment on this story. They declined to be interviewed, but did respond to detailed questions with a statement, categorically denying any allegations of ongoing pollution and suggesting that they were only penalised for one incident last year. Hymix advises that the fines recently issued by the EPA relate to the alleged discharge of high pH and sediment-laden water as a result of a failure within our concrete plant stormwater treatment system following a significant rainfall event on the 19th of October 2020. The failure was isolated within the stormwater system and was not directly associated with the concrete waste. Thanks to new fine structures, Hymix copped a combined $23,000 in fines. And as you can imagine, locals weren't exactly jumping for joy when they heard the news. $23,000 wouldn't even be a, a scrape on what it would have cost them to have the contaminated water carted and distributed off-site. As for why it took the EPA so long to return, well, Corey's guess is as good as yours. I'm genuinely sitting here quite stumped to give you an answer to that question this is my backyard so every time i have a cup of coffee and i see a gray i'm letting him know about it i'm capturing everything i possibly can and giving them zero reason to doubt what's happening here so what kind of damage could years of contamination from a concrete plant do to kingcumber and its adjoining waterways dr ian wright is an esteemed water researcher from western sydney university the sort of photos I've seen and the description of the pollution it suggests quite a large water quality pollution incident. So you would have an enormous rise in pH up to alkaline levels. Now pH, you change the pH of water, every biological process changes because of that. It's like a gateway influence. Dr Wright says the alleged ongoing nature of this pollution could have significant long-term impacts to natural life both in the creek itself and also in the extensive waterways it connects to. Quite a lot of the pollutants would actually be sealed up and deposited into the sediment and pollutants tend to you know, recirculate once they get into the sediment. So pollutants deposited in sediment, they're like a ghost that just haunt the water above it. They dissolve, get into the water column, affect plant and animal life, algae, and then they drop again. It tends to be a cycle that perpetuates. When it comes to the EPA's response, Dr Wright thinks questions need to be answered. On, on the face of it, no, it's not acceptable and it does need to be addressed. Again, it's the community's waterway and future generations, but it just isn't acceptable to have these sort of pollution impacts. They're not mild. It's actually quite serious. 
So how does it get to a point where the repeated suggestion of severe and ongoing pollution impacting significant New South Wales waterways triggers very little interest or action, not only from all levels of government, but from our own Environmental Protection Authority? Backjack contacted Central Coast Council, State Member for Terrigal Adam Crouch and State Environment Minister Matt Keane for comment on this issue. All either declined to be interviewed or did not follow up on our inquiries. We also made numerous requests to the EPA for an interview or to answer detailed questions. They declined but did provide a statement. The New South Wales EPA is actively investigating water management of the high mixed concrete batch plant at Kingcumber. We follow up all complaints we receive. In addition to the recent $23,000 fine issued to Hymix, the EPA has also issued the company with a prevention notice to address ongoing surface water management issues at the site. In the absence of any clear explanations, we're left to question why environmental protection doesn't appear to have been prioritised here by government, regulators and industry. The answer may well lie in the very culture of our state government. Since its election in 2011, the O'Farrell, Baird and Berejiklian governments have overseen alarming increases in deforestation, land clearing and mining, and decreases in native animal numbers and environmental protections. If this is a standard set by our government, why should the rest of us care? But, of course, many do care, and Corey Hopper is a great example of that. I think I'm fighting the good fight, mate, and I'll, I'll stick at it until we get the change that should happen. Simple as that. That was Backchat's investigation into water pollution on the Central Coast and the disappointing response from the government and EPA. Don't go anywhere because up next we're chatting with Pakistani-born lawyer Jari Syed for Autism Awareness Month about being diagnosed later in life and how his cultural diversity intersects with his autism. But first, a song. This is the first track artist Syed has released in two years. Came out yesterday. This is Fruit. Keep it on FBI 94.5. It's 9.46 and you're on Backchat FBI. Now, I've had mates tell me that Autism Awareness Month can feel a bit performative, kind of like Are You OK Day? Yeah, I can only imagine why. So this year we want to simply give representation to a young autistic person and talk about life, career and relationships. We'll now be chatting with Pakistani-born junior lawyer Jari Syed, who works in the social justice space and was diagnosed later as a teenager. Hi Jari, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Jerry, what was your experience with getting a diagnosis later in life? Um, so, I think um, uh, later in life uh, would mean 14 or 15, so not that late, but um, most autism diagnoses happen in very early childhood, so late by that, by those, that definition, definitely. Um, and what I was um, initially diagnosed with wasn't really autism, it was um, Asperger's, and that's something that, like, many people know about. But um, Asperger's was actually um, kicked off uh, the DSM-5. So it's no longer an, uh, a, a diagnosis. And what you're really diagnosed with is being on the spectrum, the autism spectrum. So, um, yeah, so I was diagnosed with Asperger's. Um, and um, I guess once, once I received the diagnosis, it, like, explained a lot about... Um, to my parent, but to my parents and to myself about the the way I felt, you know, around people, um, the anxiety I felt in social situations, um, my speech disorder, 
you know, the way, uh, you know, obsessive patterns of thinking, all of that. It just explained all of that to me. And you're on a temporary visa here. Are there any barriers for autistic people to gaining permanent residency in Australia? Um, well, so the thing is, um, uh, autism, as you know, is, it's the spectrum. So um, they, uh, you can be severely autistic, moderately or very mildly. I'm on the milder side of, of, of things. Um, and so I don't think it would, um, it would impact me, but I know that to get a visa, any kind of visa, permanent, temporary, any kind of visa, you have to pass what's called a health test. And what the health test is, um, is basically you have to satisfy the Australian government that you will not, you will not be a burden on Australia's health resources. And so um, essentially someone who's very, very autistic and they need support, to be able to function in their daily life, which many people do, um, they are considered a burden. They, they do not pass the health test. And if they don't pass the health test, they can't get a visa. So I have read of many cases, and I know many cases, where people were refused permanent residency because they themselves or their children, one of their children, one of the dependents was autistic and needed the, those kinds of support. And the Australian government simply told them, well, you don't pass the health test um, and you, so we can't give you this visa because we think you're going to be a burden or your child is going to be a burden on our resources. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Jari, yeah. generally speaking, it seems that uh, neurodivergent people are made to feel like they need to fit into a mould set by neurotypical people. Do you feel like you have to fit into a mould in terms of what is the quote-unquote right way to be? Oh, yeah, definitely. So the way I felt it, I, I felt it in two ways. Number one, um, the way my autism really manifested in my early years was my, I, I had a speech disorder. I still do, um, um, but it's just a lot of therapy and a lot of working on it that um, has led to what's called masking. So masking is a term, it basically explains, like, it's, it's, you're wearing a mask. You have autism but you move through the world as if you don't. And most people will never be able to tell, and that's kind of the goal, which, I mean, tells you a lot about how autistic people are viewed in society. Um, but uh, my particular speech disorder was that I used very, like my speech was very, very pedantic. And because I had very, very specific interests, I would sometimes be unable to um, speak to other people in a way that they understood. All of my references were kind of known only to me, understood only by me, and I could go on for hours about this one very specific thing that only I was interested in without ever really telling that the other person is, like, could not be less interested in what I was saying. Um, and, yeah, that makes, that makes it, that made it difficult to form relationships, friendships, uh, networks, all that sort of stuff. But because I got therapy, I was kind of able to learn how to sort of work around that. Um, and I'm lucky that I got that therapy because I know that many people can't. Um, the other way um, that it impacted me was uh, in terms of social avoidance. So a lot of autistic people, um, j- just based on fear of social rejection, just because of the intense anxiety that social situations precipitate, can sometimes... Um, just avoid social situations entirely 
Um, and it has happened to me multiple times in the past where people thought that I was being avoidant because I thought highly of myself. They, they misinterpreted as, it as arrogance. And obviously, I didn't feel comfortable sharing with them that the reason I was avoiding them was because of my autism, not because I believed I was better than them. But what that basically does, and it's happened to me in multiple situations, um, is that people then then begin to punish you um, as a group. Like if it's a group dynamic, they they then begin to like take it out on you because they think that you're arrogant. Um, I was in boarding school growing up, and I say a lot of bullying um, and a lot of emotional and physical um, harm as well um, because pe- because of this thing that people thought that I was avoiding them um, because I thought it was better than them. But, it's, you know, yeah. It's a real shame. And, and unfortunately, Jerry, we are running out of time. But one last thing yeah. I want to ask about is, is often yeah. in public discussion, neurodivergence is viewed as a deficiency, which is, of course, horrible. But how has being autistic actually helped you in situations? Um, well, I think that it just gives you a very specific and different way, a unique way of looking at the world. Um, and... I wouldn't trade it for the world, even though it's made things very, very difficult in some ways. I think it's given me um, uh, the confidence to really know what I'm talking about in terms of, like, if I am interested in something, I want to know every single thing about it. Um, And, you know, that started from early childhood and it's continuing. And so um, I'm, I'm proud of my ability to do that, um, to focus so single-mindedly on something and be able to like get the outcome that I want. Um, and it's fueled my ambition and it's the reason why I am doing so well in my career so far and the reason that I haven't sort of fallen behind. Um, but I know that many autistic people don't have the same story. Um, and um, yeah, and, and for years I doubted myself and was unable to think of my autism as anything but a negative. Um, yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jari. We really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. That was junior lawyer Jari Side talking about his experience with being autistic for Autism Awareness Month. After the break, we'll be joined by our producer uh, Rebecca Manibog to discuss the death of Prince Philip and whether it's appropriate for some people to celebrate. Let us know your thoughts on 0409 945 945. That's all coming up after a song. Right now, it's another new one, released just two days ago. This is Melbourne's Agang Mango with 120 frames per second. So I'm sure most of you have now heard the news that late last night, Prince Philip passed away, aged 99. The internet response to this has been a mixed bag, to say the least, with some mourning and others just kind of taking the piss. So rest in peace or pieces? (laughs) So um, Beck, Eamon and I have been grappling with this convo all morning and want to hear your thoughts on 0409 945 945. So first off, I feel like we just um, we need to address like why it was a a mixed bag. Uh, in the past, Prince Philip has said racist and sexist, you know, things such as 
I don't think a prostitute is more moral than a wife, but they are doing the same thing. Ugh. Wow. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> no. He's also told the president of Nigeria, who was dressed in a traditional robe, that he looked like he was ready for bed. Wow. It's so sad. <laughs> like, um, yeah, you know, his passing is quite sad and it's just, it's kind of like a mixed bag of people celebrating it and not. And um, I do feel bad for the guy. I remember when he first came out of hospital seeing those photos and I'm not going to lie, I did have a laugh. Um, you know, people putting the airplane mode side next to it and I was like cackling. But, you know, um, now that he actually has passed away, I'm kind of regretting laughing at it at the same time. But yeah, that's what I was thinking, that like some people may feel bad now that he's actually passed. Yeah. It's a weird one. It's um, it's obviously sad that he's died, but I suppose, you know, it's, it's in the internet age, no one's really safe from any of this. And there are probably a bunch of groups out there that feel justified in in celebrating things like this, but it's always very contentious. I mean, we saw earlier, or I'm not sure what time it would have been in the UK, but they were popping bottles of champagne out the front, and that stirred a lot of controversy, as you can imagine. For sure. But that's just about all we've got time for this uh, this afternoon, this morning, I should say. Uh, thanks for tuning in to this this morning. I was about to say tonight again to back chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, this has been Back Chat. It's been your go-to rap for news and current affairs, and you can catch us next week at 9.30am. Uh, stay tuned for Limbs Akimbo up next. Uh, just before we go, we've got one last song. Uh, this one's a recommendation from Nat in er- Erskineville. The song is called Miss Calls by Sydney Cider, Mung Mung. <laughs>